Hey, alright. And welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation about music. And our conversation this week is with Mark Palm of Super Crush. Super Crush is one of my favorite bands in the world. They've got their first ever LP, been nine years doing seven inches and now we finally got an lp called soto pop it's out tomorrow if you're listening the day this comes out october 9th for the rest of you soto pop is out on don giovanni records fun episode for you this week mark and i talked a lot about power pop we actually talked a lot about power pop twice in the past couple of weeks Margaret and I recorded two of these, and I had a panic attack the afternoon uh, we talked the first time, which was, I think, just moving stress. Haven't had more than one or two panic attacks in my life, so uh, it really caught me off guard. I remember I was, I opened the fridge, I took out the gabagool, um, yeah, just this like Bach in my memory, and ended up without having saved the conversation that Mark and I had. It was a fun conversation. So fun that Mark was just thrilled to be able to talk to me again. Even took some time to let me kind of relive some of my finer moments of the first conversation. So glad that we have all those to share with you all (laughs) this week. But I guess like the particulars on what caused my brain to short circuit, it feels like, you know, the facts are not really important. It's stressful to be on the planet right now. And I've said this already on the show, but I'll probably return to it more that these, these all feel like letters that I just send out. And whenever they land, I hope you're finding time to just listen to it. And listen to it in a way that helps you feel like time can just pass without watching it, watching the timeline. Um, When Jay and I talked about moving to Valparaiso, we spent a lot of time talking about how we were looking forward to spending our time. And today was like the first day that I felt like I got to do what I talked about, which was have a cup of coffee do some work in my what's going to be like my office um the walls are painted brown i don't i don't understand pretty much every decision that was made in the interior of this house i don't there's i i i can't understand how bad you can one could be at painting that's what blows my mind um <laughs> Um, I'm in this room, it's mine, and it's really exciting. I can feel like a freeness in the way that I'm talking um, and sharing, and that's that's a really nice thing to be uh, within. And today was a good day. I got to, I got to do what... I talked to my partner about when we moved in here, which was, you know, to wake up, do some work, um, go outside, do some work out there. And I got to do that today. And it was, it was really nice to be able to just spend time working, but working differently. Um, I get to mow the lawn tomorrow, so that's pretty cool. They got 12 packs of O'Doul's cans right at the supermarket. You don't see 12 cans of O'Doul's often. Um, And, like, I'm inside now, but when I was making notes on my phone about doing this, I was looking at Mars. Mars is so bright and golden right now won't be like that 
for they say another 15 years and in 15 years is about as long as i've been waiting for a super crush lp i tell you what this band that mark palm started in 2011 as a songwriting project has been releasing consistently great power pop singles starting in 2011 these are two songs the covers all had fucking fantastic artwork um this band was really cool when they came out and there seemed to just be an extra bit of thought into it and the songwriting was so great um and we were getting seven inches one every couple years and then it started gaining some traction 2017 started to become mark's thing and in 2019 they had enough singles to fill up a comp it's called never let you drift away came out last year and then one day a couple months ago my 2020 best new best friend award winner mike campbell sends me a text and mike of course if you listen to life's work a podcast about laura stevenson sit resist mike is laura's husband and bass player and he's also the publicist for don giovanni records and he says i think you would like this band super crush we're putting their record out and i said i'm way ahead of you buddy i love that band i want to have mark on this podcast and i'm excited to have mark on this week and i'm excited to pay him because we pay our guests for being on the show we do that through our patreon patreon.com slash better yet podcast we got a revenue share that goes on we split the money each week between the show our guests and an organization chosen by our guests if you pledge to our patreon this week you will be supporting better yet and you'll be supporting mark you can pledge three dollars a month not like you're leaving us a tip or you can pledge ten dollars a month which will gain you access to exclusive content from me and from our guests last week elisa okusami of oceanator gave us the cover of rancid's old friend and this week we've got a youtube playlist made for us by mark a whole lot of good bands that we discuss during the interview and proceeds from that patreon will go to the show they'll go to mark and this week we're sending money to the Eunice Toten 2020 legal fund the Eunice Toten are a tribe of indigenous people whose land is in what is now known as British Columbia in what is now known as Canada and their land is being taken from them and used for oil drilling and they're fighting back they're fighting back against the Canadian government they're fighting back against the oil companies this legal fund is there to help them with all of the mounting costs and this is something that is close to home for Mark he's from British Columbia originally and it's good to hear about organizations like this being in the United States. There's so many things that we're not made aware of because they're far away, but it's happening everywhere. We're happy to be helping them out this week, and we're happy to be sharing this conversation with you. Subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Here's me and Mark Palm. that like listeners know that um they have to know that i did a very good tenured fight impression oh, that's right the hardcore pride impression hardcore pride. <laughs> and also i i i think it's important to know that that you were very impressed by me pointing out that uh copper blue by sugar came out on ryko disc and that just that's that true. was there because that's a very random label the only other thing I can think of on that label is Robin Trower, who I also love. Now, I don't know Robin Trower. It's nothing like Sugar. It's like uh, he was sort of sort of like a contemporary of Hendrix, I suppose. 
Okay. Or maybe like uh, he was probably influenced by Hendrix. He's a he's a guitar player. He's a guitar still... player. He's influenced by Jimmy Hendrix. Yeah, can you imagine? Right. Can okay. you believe that? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but he was he had a bunch of great records in the early seventies. And he's still touring actually. I think he's seventy five years old, still going. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Ryko disc was a weird one. Cause I, I feel like they, maybe it's just that it sounds so similar to Rhino that mm-hmm. I just have always paired the two, but they were, they were kind of like a, like a boutique label. I know that they like issued a bunch, like they reissued a bunch of like Nick Drake and Frank Zappa stuff. And then when the power pop shit started coming, it's like they were all over that. I just and then they were gone. Yeah, yeah. I just remember the CDs were easy to pick out um, at the record store because they all had that like baby blue spine on them. You know, what that's I'm right. Yeah, the whole like plastic casing, I think, was like. And I now that I'm in a house, I'm all for CDs. I'm just gonna start buying CDs. Oh, they're the again. best. I was just having this conversation with Joe. Who runs the record label that's releasing our album, Don Giovanni? Mm-hmm. Cause he's a huge C D fan. And mm-hmm. I am too. So we were we're bonding over that because there's very few of us out there. Yeah, I was talking to Joe because I did the um Life's Work podcast for the reissue of Laura Stevenson's Sit Resist, and I was interviewing him for it, and I was like, you know, how's it feel like you got you're putting out a a reissue on your label it was remastered at abbey road and the first thing he said was yeah i wanted to put it out on cd but they didn't they didn't want to do that and i'm like joe joe (laughs) come on let's let's lead with the positive but that's not that's not joe's style well i'll I'll, uh, give you a little peek behind the curtain here uh oh yeah moments before we got online Joe sent uh-huh. me a text that says, we only got two CD orders. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. It's Bandcamp Friday. You're going to, there's going to be a third. Personally, I think that, I think that I should be getting these things for free from Don Giovanni Records, but that's, that's just me. Um, yeah, you deserve it. But we really need to, <laughs> we re- really need to promote the the compact disc format here two orders Um, i i do believe that i have uh i have copper blue and beaster on the original ryko disc cd somewhere i was listening to that the other night though because we were talking about we were talking about tones when we talked the Mm -hmm. first time and getting that like genuine 1992 sound how it's been tough for you. I listened to that fucking copper blue the other night. It's maybe my best or maybe my favorite like guitar tone that's ever been recorded. Yeah, it's awesome. Everything about that. The drums are so great too. I always find that the mm-hmm. drum drums are the hardest thing to record in a way that that satisfies me. Yeah, I don't know what has changed since the '90s, like we talked about before. But a lot of my favorite records were recorded in the '90s, so I'm—I guess I kind of grew up on like a certain era of production mm-hmm. that I've often tried to replicate, and it's just so difficult to get the drums to sound sound the way that I hear them in my head, or the way I heard them on those old records. And and you started out playing drums, so you have uh, very very you're very in tune with you know exactly what you want on that front, not just guitars. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, drums was the first instrument I played, and it's still probably my favorite thing to listen to in a recording, especially mm-hmm. if they're well recorded. Like I I always think it's totally. such a shame sometimes when we're recording if we're recording each instrument you know one at a time like layering and recording Mm -hmm. we'll always start with the drums of course and it's so it's such a joy to hear the drums 
on their own. You can hear them ringing. You can hear the room. You can hear all the space. And mm-hmm. then it's all, it always feels like almost a shame to like cover that up with a bunch of guitars. You know? Yeah. But that's what, that's what people want. They want more guitars. They want louder <laughs> guitars. It's true. So, so when you're, if you could pick three uh, records as far as like drum sound, mm-hmm. uh, what would they be? We got uh, Super Unknown by Soundgarden. Uh-huh. Matt Cameron on drums. We got uh, Siamese Dream by Smashing Pumpkins, Jimmy Chamberlain on drums. They always had the fucking best production. Yeah, they had the best. That album is unreal. And let's see. Number three. That's tough. Those first two are so obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have to think on that. All right, we'll come back to yeah, it. Yeah, we'll come back to it. <laughs> um do you think you found you think you found a good drum sound on this new record soto pop yeah by I, super crush yeah i'm pleased with it for sure it, it's it was definitely a case of what i just described though we recorded mm-hmm. the drums at this really nice studio in seattle called london bridge um it's the same studio where like some alice in chains and pearl jam and Soundgarden records were recorded and it mm-hmm. has this enormous tracking room where we recorded the drums and they just sounded so incredible in the room and so mm-hmm. incredible when they were isolated in the recording and uh so it almost made me a little sad to cover up some of the nuances of the drum sound with all the guitars but <laughs> yeah and 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 you you were working with um Jackson Long who and he's engineered everything you've done with super crush is that right yeah he he'd engineered everything up to this up to the point of the lp and then on the lp he engineered the drums and then a few odds and ends later like he we did a little um some mellotron stuff that he engineered um Mm. but yeah for this album he pretty much did the drums which is kind of his specialty he's a drummer Mm-hmm. And he spent many years as the drum tech for Death Cab for Cutie. So, oh, how about that? Yeah, so drums is definitely. I mean, he's a great engineer all around, but I always felt like drums were his specialty. And he didn't have he didn't have the time to do the full album with us. Um, but I wanted to make sure that he was involved for the drums at least. Totally. So that so that's why you got Phil Jones. Is that Phil from Shook Ones? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Hell yeah. I fucking love that band. Cool, yeah. That 2018 record that they did, the one that came out like a couple years ago, mm-hmm. fucking the best LP they've ever done. Oh, cool. Just like out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm glad you liked like, it. Phil Phil engineered that one too. That Actually, that was another Phil Jones-Jackson Long collaboration. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How do you know them? Just from Seattle? Uh, let's see. Jackson. Um, I think I met Jackson through Aaron O'Neill. Mm-hmm. who played drums on all the super crush singles um they've been friends for a while and aaron was always pushing that we that we record with him so our old band devotion ended up doing an lp with jackson mm-hmm. um and actually during that recording session we kind of took a break on the devotion recording and that's when we recorded the first super crush single with jackson Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So I was reading about that that last Devotion LP, and that seemed like a a mountain that you climbed, only to climb a bigger mountain after that, and a bigger mountain after that, and like looking, and it came out like pretty late too, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. It took forever. It took a long ass time. Yeah, yeah. It really did. From the point that we started recording to the day that it was actually released, it was mm-hmm. must have been at least a couple of years. And then Modern Charms and then Super Crush all come around that time. So you've been doing Devotion for so long, and before that, Go It Alone, and the other bands too. Um, but if you, but you know those are hardcore bands, and and Modern Charms was 
very very shoegazy Mm -hmm. was it sort of like a reprieve from where you were at doing hardcore i think the modern charms album was uh it was something that i wanted to do for a long time even when i was playing in punk bands and hardcore bands and metal bands and stuff i'd always wanted to make a record that wasn't you know punk or heavy in any way um Mm -hmm. Because like we, like we had talked about before, uh, the first music that I really got into, even before getting into punk, was like 90s alternative rock and grunge and the mm-hmm. stuff that was happening when I was a preteen <clears throat> in the 90s. So even when I was playing in hardcore bands, you know, on tour in the van, I would put on Smashing Pumpkins or something like that. And I'd always sort of uh, dream about one day making a record sort of in that kind of, you know, loosely in that style. So I think that's what, that's what the modern charms was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, just finally um, playing in a style of music that I had been into for a really, really long time, but I had just never um, had the opportunity to make a record in that style before. Yeah. And, and you've been going for, quite some time right you were playing drums playing guitar in high school you were playing punk bands in vancouver yeah i think the first band that i was in that started i mean i started playing shows and stuff when i was uh probably 15 or 16 Mm -hmm. and started doing tours and stuff when i was still in high school probably 12th grade um and then ever since i graduated high school i've just been playing music, traveling, touring, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about last time, I I didn't go to college after high school. Um, I just, you know, immediately started, like I said, touring and just having kind of an adventurous life, I suppose, traveling. Yeah. So with like early guitar influences, were you, you get a guitar and, you know, start playing minor threat songs or were you were you like getting to know that instrument like through the 90s alt shit that you grew up on was that kind of like uh was that something that when you sort of got back into the alt stuff you were you started playing guitar like that or was it always like you know what i'm saying yeah (laughs) why did that come out so fucking confusing (laughs) No, no no that makes sense uh, let's see when I got, when I first got a guitar, that was right around the same time that I was getting into punk music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got an electric guitar and I took guitar lessons for maybe six months. And of course my teacher wanted to teach me scales and he was interested in teaching me how to play the blues and, and that sort of thing. But I had just gotten into punk. So I was only interested in that. So I got him to teach me how to play a power chord. Uh-huh. And then after that, I basically had no use <laughs> no use for him. Because <laughs> I could, you know, with a power chord, I could pretty much play every single song that I liked. Right, yeah. Um, so I, after that, I was pretty much just interested in the guitar as a tool for writing songs. I didn't really develop an interest in the instrument itself or in trying to improve my technical ability for many, many years. I probably played guitar for 15 years, you know, strictly for the purpose of writing songs. I had the crappiest guitar and I had no interest in really practicing to become more skillful. I was just interested in writing songs. Uh huh. So it's only been in more recent years that I've actually developed an interest in the instrument itself, you know, and Uh now I have way too many guitars. Right. And I've also become more interested in actually trying to improve as a player and become, you know, at least slightly more skillful. So how does that click in? Is it um is it around the time that we're starting Modern Charms and the think, Super Crush era? I think it was right around the time that Go It Alone finished and uh-huh. I was beginning to work on devotion. Because d- during the Goat Alone years, 
I wrote all those songs on guitar, but I didn't actually play guitar in the band. I was just the vocalist in the band. Um, so I just had, a, you know, I just had a piece of junk guitar during that time, but mm-hmm. it was good enough to write songs, which is all I needed it for. Um, but then once that band ended and I started work on Devotion, I guess that's when I decided to uh, take it a little bit, take my playing a little more seriously. And that's when I bought like my first actual nice guitar. And then of course that started like uh, an unhealthy obsession with buying guitars. <laughs> so which one was the first one? The first one was a uh, Les- 1991 Les Paul custom black beauty. Yeah. And that's still like one of the main guitars that I use like on tour with super crush. Usually I'll bring two guitars because there's kind of a bunch of different sounds from song to song. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful to have a couple different guitars to try to recreate the sounds from the album. And uh, one of the ones that I bring is usually that, that Les Paul custom. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the other one then? The other one I usually bring is a Blue Flower Stratocaster. It's like that's a, that fucking, that's that copper blue guitar. Is it? Yeah, the fucking, he, I think... When he quit Husker Du, well, he did the like two solo records, mm-hmm. and then Copper Blue was when he just started playing Stratocasters. Okay, now, right. All he plays is a Stratocaster. It's funny because I've used probably very similar equipment as him. Uh huh. Like you know, I've done some like nerd research to find out what pickups he was using, what yeah distortion pedal he was using, and. There's just, I just can't even get close to the way his shit sounds. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I think Copper Blue, it's just it's just an MX-1 MXR, distortion yeah, pedal. Totally. MXR, yeah. And, uh, and just into a Marshall head. I was all excited because I found one of those, one of those pedals at, at, the, um, um, at the Goodwill Bins. I got it for like yeah. 45 cents or something. Uh-huh. It's like a vintage one from the seventies. And as soon as I got it, I was like, Oh, this is it. I'm going to get, yeah, the, yeah, gonna yeah, get the Bob it. mold sound, but, <laughs> and it sounds cool, but I just can't, mm-hmm. can't recreate his sound. I had the same, I had the same shit when I was, uh, I was starting to get into playing electric guitar more. It was around the time that teenage fan club, like really increased, their frequency in my world. I bought bandwagon esque and there's that picture of uh, oh, one of them on. just holding the rat. And I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, let me borrow someone's rat pedal. And I'm like, why doesn't like, this isn't working the way that I want it to. Why not? Totally. Maybe if I smoke more weed, like the guy in the other picture, no, no, that didn't help either. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of a fool's errand, I think, to like try to recreate someone's sound. There's just so many factors that are impossible to recreate. You know what you need, though? You need Lou Giordano. That's what you really need. Tell me about that. Fucking, well, he's, he produced uh, Copper Blue. Oh, uh, you think he's the secret sauce? I think so, because one of my other favorite uh, guitar records is A Boy Named Goo. By the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, same guy. Yeah. And he did like SSD, like Boston shit, like early oh, Boston hardcore. Yeah, 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 of course. That's where I recognize that name from. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that yep. is like an incredible improvement from SSD. <laughs> from the f- fidelity and production yeah. quality of SSD to Goo Goo Dolls. So tell me about like the kind of entryway into the like you know, the, the sonic world of, of super crush. Cause you have like the nineties, like all stuff that you grew up on. But obviously when I listen to your band, I think about fan club. I think about sugar. I think about, um, you know, the lemon heads and, and the Doughboys who you, um, turned me on to with that Patreon playlist that you made for us. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you got into the Doughboys. I love that band. Um, but yeah, I guess the so good. all those bands were a big influence on what Super Crush was doing. 
when we started and, and now to this day. But I guess my thing with Super Crush is I wanted to do, you know, this hyper melodic guitar rock band or power pop band. Mm-hmm. But I, w- I was really mindful of the fact that I wanted to always present it um, sort of in like coming from like a rock sort of uh, presentation. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bands that I enjoy that play power pop or maybe shoegaze or those sorts of genres. Uh, and I enjoy them, but they don't particularly rock or, or perhaps just their presentation doesn't have some uh-huh. of the trappings of, of rock and roll. Yeah. Um, and that was one thing that I always wanted to make sure it was present in the presentation of, of super crush. So even though mm-hmm. it's like really, you know, like I said, hyper melodic, pretty wimpy music. I want there at least to be some element of like rock and roll presentation. Yeah. I think that the difference between super crush and at least like, you know, using the description that you use for uh, the, the shoegazy bands of uh, our time is I think super crush is, is much more of like a college rock and you know the shoegaze is maybe a lot of different facets of punk or emo that all kind of like found that stuff and started making stuff that was more in that direction. But yours is, yeah, it's definitely MTV 120 minutes, like, you know, late eighties, early nineties. Uh, it's still rock and roll music. Yeah, yeah. I w- this is probably an oversimplification, but sometimes I used to think about it in terms of like the American bands of that era and then their British mm-hmm. counterparts. And I always mm-hmm. felt like one of the, I like both of them, but I always fe- felt like one of the key differences was that the American bands seemed to have like a little bit more of a rock presentation, whether yeah. it was like, um, you know, Nirvana or dinosaur junior like those bands Mm -hmm. they were you know they were rock bands i guess i suppose they were alternative rock bands but there was something about the their presentation whether it was like the fact that dinosaur junior has guitar solos or just the fact that they had long hair or that they played like giant amplifiers there's Mm -hmm. something about their presentation that that is in the lineage of rock and roll and, and that's something that uh, appealed to me a little more than some of the British counterparts. Yeah. There's exceptions to the rules. One of the exceptions, I think, was Swerve Driver. Like when I first heard Swerve Driver, oh, yeah. they're one of my favorite bands. When I first heard them, it was right at the time that I was getting into a bunch of the shoegaze bands. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who recommended a handful of bands to kind of get me started. So, of course, it was My Bloody Valentine slow dive swerve driver maybe a couple others and i I enjoyed Mm -hmm. them all but i think i especially latched on to swerve driver because there was something about it that was sort of american in its presentation yeah there's definitely like he carries a he carries a, a coolness that i think those other bands um carry more of like a mm, kind of sadness but mm. you know fucking you look like you've been losing sleep said a stranger on a train <laughs> like that shit fucking drives yeah yeah it was more driving um yeah it just remind it just reminded me a little bit more it had a little bit more in common with like the american alternative rock of my youth i think is what it was Hmm. and then you can definitely feel that swerve driver influence in modern charms and certainly in the first super crush seven inch lifted Mm -hmm. um but when we get to like i don't want to feel sad anymore those vocal harmonies are just like from a from a time you know like had you ever written harmonies like that before that feels um, very just like studious. 
there was a little bit of that sort of thing. Yeah, there was some vocal harmony in um, Devotion. But uh-huh. yeah, it definitely, I definitely stepped it up as far as, you know, once once I started working on Super Crush. But it's funny because I have some, I have some like musical education, musical background. Like I said, I took guitar lessons for a short time. I took drum lessons for a few years when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played in the school band when I was young. So I have a certain degree of of understanding. But um, harmony, like which which notes were complementary to each other mm-hmm. in harmony was something that I really had no experience with. So any vocal harmonizing that I've done, especially in the early period of Super Crush, that was all just trial and error. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there is error on those recordings. You know, I bet if we, I bet if we got the isolated tracks and actually mm-hmm. actually analyzed what notes are being sung against each other, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if there's some like sour or you know slightly discordant or non-complementary notes in there. Um, so that's something that I've been trying to improve at and actually learn more about as time goes on. It's kind of a work in progress. Yeah. So when it's trial and error, I mean, um, is it just you singing off of yourself? Or are you kind of like, because I mean, this um, playlist that you sent me and obviously just like being uh, a fan of this particular genre of music too, it's like you bring it all back to the birds and then you trace like that lineage and I mean, fucking fan clubs harmonies are unbelievable. Yeah, big you, time. Unbelievable. You taking taking notes and just like investing your like self and like what are they doing here? Like, yeah, definitely. I mean, fan club was definitely a huge influence as far as vocal harmonizing. Yeah, the three of them is like unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. It's funny, I had, in Devotion, I had a bandmate who's like super, he went to, uh, actually I had two bandmates in Devotion who went to music school down in in Los Angeles, super talented players, and they had like a way greater understanding of music theory than I do. So oftentimes, one of them would point out like, oh, these two notes that you're telling us to play here together, like they don't work together. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I get frustrated. I'd be like, what do you mean they don't work together? They sound, It sounds cool. I like it. <laughs> but they're like, no, look, this note, one of us is playing this note on one guitar. And then the mm-hmm. other note, the other guitar player is playing a note, just one fret up from that. Like that's not going to sound good together. And they would well, have to like they would have to point it out to me, or sometimes they would ask me like, "Okay, mm-hmm. wh- what do you want here? Do you want a, do you want us to play a third or a fifth? What kind of harmony do you want?" And I would have no clue what they're talking about. I'd be like, "I don't know. Let's just like try a bunch of different notes until it sounds cool." <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess like when you're when you're getting into you know, this sort of shit. And then you're also like putting a lot of emphasis on your guitar playing. Um, when does like, when does it finally get to a point where you're like, okay, cool. I can, I can do this band. I can be like ready for it. And then like, when would you say it becomes kind of the main focus for you musically? Uh, it became the main focus, I think around 2017. Because for the first bunch of years, Super Crush was just an occasional recording project mm-hmm. that I did, um, you know, sort of for fun uh, whenever I had a little downtime. At that time, I was playing in probably like four different bands, a couple of which were touring really heavily, and two of them were working on pretty large scale, ambitious, full length albums. Mm hmm. Um, so Super Crush at first was sort of just an excuse to make some like lower pressure recordings, just make some two songs, seven inches, just Mm -hmm. write a couple catchy songs and record them like when I had the free time or when I had the, the inspiration to do it. 
you know, so there was no, no pressure, no timelines, no tours, tour schedules to, to, um, to adapt to no record labels to deal with, you know, it was just like, Mm -hmm. just for fun. Um, but then in 2017, I wasn't playing in any other bands at that time. And I decided, um, at that time to make super crush like the, my main priority. So at that time I was living in Oakland at that time. Um, but I moved up to Seattle to pursue the band, you know, full time basically. Aaron come up with you or was Aaron in Seattle at that time? Yeah, Aaron, Aaron's from the Bay area, but he had, he's been living in Seattle for probably over a decade now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So was the move to Seattle kind of, was that part of it? Just like, so you and Aaron are in the same spot. There was just a good like infrastructure of musicians to play with and like a studio that I could, could work out of in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love the Bay Area and would love to live in California again, but Seattle just seemed like um, like a supportive environment at the time to like get the band off the ground. Totally. You still there? Yeah. I mean, I know you're in BC right now, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, that, that timeline sort of matches up because like 2017, the fucking output is just like comes pouring out of you yeah exactly that's when it really started happening so i moved up to seattle and we released our third single and -hmm. then that's when we started rehearsing with the band and and then we started playing shows uh i think in the winter of that year probably in january 2018 so those were your first shows were in 2018 yeah 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 we've We've only been playing shows for a couple of years, two and a half years now, something like that. Fucking wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because it went from such an inactive band to like super active, like in the past, you know, since, since 2018, we've, you know, played well over a hundred shows. Yeah. Done a couple of full North American tours, a bunch of other smaller tours, released a handful of records. Yeah. Um, And I feel like, man, and this like, especially became clear when never let you drift away came out just like listening to those seven inches back to back to back uninterrupted it's like man this band needs to do an lp especially like the back third of that record walking backwards uh hidden worlds rewind it's like feel like there was just this excitement for me like hearing those tracks and just being like this is not only a band that does good singles but like the moment that straight up fan club riff starts on walking backwards it's like endless possibilities and then those (laughs) other songs are so like like out there yeah, those two were kind of like a little bit of a curveball. Um, it's funny. I, I know we talked about this last last time we spoke, but yeah, when when it came time to do the full length album, <clears throat> I had a sort of a hard time trying to decide what approach I wanted to take. Um, on one hand, I really love albums that kind of take you on a journey. Um, uh, you know, there's some different types of songs, different tempos, different moods. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are usually my favorite albums. So on one hand, I was interested in trying to make an album like that. Um, but at the same time, I sort of was interested in trying trying to just write 10 straight up undeniable hits, like uh-huh. two and a half minute singles and just yeah. beat the listener over the head, like song after song after song with like nonstop <laughs> infectious immediately infectious singles right um in the end i ended up going with the first approach and trying to make like a little bit more dynamic um varied mm-hmm. of an album um i but feel you never like know. maybe in the future yeah I'll try. i feel like that kind of like hints to what you were 
saying about um you know a rock and roll approach there's this um i think there's this tradition with um you know bands in the in the american camp of doing a little bit more of like a stylistic we're going to have a song that sounds like you know like a like a somewhat somewhat of a country like waltzy song we're gonna like sort of you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as like you know the band as like uh more of like a holistic like entertainment we're here for your we're here for a show we've got we've got uh we've got we've got capabilities as a rock act right right yeah, I'm always slightly worried about that, that the album is going to turn out sort of schizophrenic sounding, mm-hmm. um, you know, just jumping from style to style, from song to song. Yeah. And when we sequenced the album, that was something that I spent a lot of time, me and Phil spent a lot of time um, sort of agonizing over, because we actually recorded 15 songs mm-hmm. um, to be split between two records. So there's a 10 song album and then... Sometime in the future, there's going to be a five song, you know, like EP Yo, hell from yeah. the from the same set sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to decide which songs should go on which record and in which order they should go was was pretty difficult because, on one hand, we could have made we could have put all the like similar sounding songs on one record. Mm-hmm. You know, we could have made like just a straight up like fuzz rock, alt rock record. And then right. put put some of the more like rock and roll or quiet songs or more like country tinged songs on the other record. Mm-hmm. That was one idea I was toying with. Um, but in the end, we kind of decided to sort of like mix them up. So the, the album, I think, is pretty diverse, like from song to song. Hopefully it's not schizophrenic sounding. Hopefully it makes sense in some way. Yeah, no, it's totally not. Um, I think that that is like, it is a bit of a, like a lost, uh, tradition, I think in the, uh, in the times that we live in with rock bands, because I, I just think back to, you know, a band like the, the replacements, they could also, you know, within everything that they were doing, they could also play route 66 or fucking whatever, like cover, however, poorly uh planned it came out their capabilities to just like act as a composite jukebox is kind of what made them a very great rock and roll band yeah i was just gonna say i think the other thing that contributed to that uh, for us was that the songs for the album were written over a really long period of time Mm -hmm. they were written over like two or three years um so of course during that time I, you know, there was periods when I had, when I got enthused about different things or got into different styles of music or got uh, inspired by different things. So I think if I had written all the songs in a really like concise, short period of time, mm-hmm. they, they probably would have turned out a lot more stylistically consistent. But the fact that they were written over a few years probably lends to the, you know, diversity from song to song. Yeah, that totally makes sense because there's there's tracks on there where it's like someone was listening to Cheap Trick for a week or two. <laughs> for sure. Um, and that's a good thing. I'm not I I'm not trying to embarrass. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that like um to me like this project has always had a really cool air of being you know there's a nod and a wink that's going on in the in the whole presentation so the idea that you're um you're i think that you are you position yourself really well to just be able to borrow a little bit more freely than some of the uh some of the other bands out there who i think have like honed in on being uh you know whatever they are but mm-hmm. yours is like yeah like we can we can toss off this uh sweetheart of the rodeo era birds track if we want 
We love the birds. Of course we love the fucking birds. I mean, to me, like any just super melodic guitar-based band Mm -hmm. is fair game as an influence for Super Crush. So it could be like, you know, from Screeching Weasel to My Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. Like to me, those are both reasonable influences to uh, to uh, incorporate into Super Crush. Even though I, I suppose to most people, those are like on opposite ends of the spectrum. To me, they're both like super melodic guitar based music. Totally. I mean, listen to like Dinosaur covers the Flying Burrito Brothers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm fucking I. I I love rock and roll music and I feel like there is something that's something that's like in the air the last few years. People don't want to just say like we're just a rock and roll band. Oh yeah. You know, I don't know what it is. Every now and then I meet people. I'm I'm always I'm always sort of shocked when I meet people who are into you know, guitar music who are into heavy music, but they're not really into rock and roll. You know what I mean? Like sometimes Mm -hmm. I meet people who play in punk bands or hardcore bands or or whatever the case, but they don't like ACDC or they don't like Deep Purple. Mm -hmm. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone has different tastes, but it does always sort of like catch me off guard because at least for me, like, you know, my tastes, even though my tastes have like, of course, expanded in every different direction imaginable at the root, it all like comes from like just rock music, guitar, rock music. So, um, I'm always surprised when, when people who are kind of operating in a similar genre as me don't have that same, uh, foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just different than, than how I, how I'm looking at it, I guess. Yeah. So when you're working with Phil, when you're working with Jackson, um, are there palettes, you know, similar to yours where you can kind of, um, you can kind of give them a, of an, an idea of where we're, what we're really honing in on here? I think there's lots of crossover as far as our, tastes and sensibilities lots of common ground and then each of us also has you know our own tastes that diverge from the others like phil i think is into a lot more emo type stuff Mm -hmm. that i don't usually really dabble with that's sort of his department and then um jackson is into a lot of sort of like indie rock stuff or maybe even like maybe twee pop kind of mm-hmm. groups that I'm not familiar with. Um, but with Phil, the two of us have a lot of common ground just in the fact that we both like grew up in punk. And then Jackson doesn't really come from the punk world, but he is of a similar age of me and you know came up as like a 90s grunge guy or alternative rock guy. So we have that um, common ground that mm-hmm. we can kind of... Uh, we can kind of communicate easily like about some of the sounds that we're trying to, we're trying to get. So, so what, what, what do we, what are we hearing in terms of, uh, guitars? Like what did you, I think you got pretty close to your tone. The, the one that you are after, like, Uh what, what are you playing mostly on this? I mean, we just went crazy with the guitars, like I was telling you, we recorded the drums at this really nice studio. Um, so we kind of broke the bank for four days to do the drums. And then after that, Jackson and Phil and I share a little studio space of our own. Mm-hmm. Um, so we recorded all the guitars at our own studio space and Phil engineered that. So we didn't really have the same time limits or mm, sort of like financial limitation that we would if we were paying to record at a commercial studio. Mm-hmm. So Phil and I just, we tried every possible combination for every single guitar track 
on the yeah. entire record. Fuck. Um, I love that shit. It was really fun. It was yeah, you would laugh if you would laugh if you <laughs> if you knew how many days we spent tracking guitars. Um but it was a lot of fun. Between the two of us, we have like so many guitars, so many pedals, so many amps. So we just brought everything to the studio. Mm-hmm. And we sort of narrowed it down to like four different main amps that we used mm-hmm. in, in combination with each other. And then I think we used like 10 different electric guitars on the record and then an acoustic guitar, um, actually that my uncle built. Um, and then countless pedals, like we just, and then countless combinations of pedals, combinations yeah. of different combination of guitar, pedal, amp. You know, it's like, in, uh-huh. like pretty much infinite. Yeah. Um, no wonder this thing took you so fucking long yeah exactly (laughs) so from track to track there's not really like a consistent guitar tone throughout the entire record some Mm -hmm. songs have similar setups um but from track to track we tried to kind of tailor the guitar sound to the to the song yeah i mean it's it's super fucking dialed in fairweather fool is that's got such a fucking good like clean but also like very very well uh overdriven just like warmth to it that's cool i'm glad you like that one that one was um sort of an outlier i think that it's the only song on the record that i used um my fender jaguar on yeah and all the all the guitars on that song are that same fender jaguar and it's actually kind of a piece of crap it's it's not a very nice guitar (laughs) but but it does have something about it like the way that the tremolo arm works on a jaguar there's something about it that's just like subtly different than the way the tremolo arm works on a stratocaster Mm -hmm. um so i use a strat on a lot of the album but on that particular song i just felt like the jaguar was more appropriate that fucking fade out to fade back in. <laughs> I'm like, I'm playing that in the kitchen. And I, 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 I you can correct me if I'm wrong here, mm-hmm. but telling my wife, I'm like, there's this song called Alcohol Day by Teenage Fan Club. And they fade out and they fade back in. Oh, and do I they can't fade wait back to in? T- yeah. That's funny. I mean, th- that song is obvious, especially the second half of the song is obviously very influenced by teenage fan club mm-hmm. but the fade out fade back in i would, the the one the instance of that that i always think of is there's a song on the smiths meet his murder that does that oh yeah and then there's also a song this is a very random reference um there's also a song on pantera's great southern Tranquil <laughs> that does that trick <laughs> But I actually didn't realize I didn't realize that um, Alcohol Day does that. I know. Yeah, it. totally does. Okay, okay. Also, well, I, we're I in hate, good company then. I I hate to I hate to be this person, but it's actually it's actually on the Queen is Dead. Some girls. Oh, are is bigger it on than the Queen others. is Dead? Okay. Yeah, some girls are bigger than others. Senior I'm year gonna, of high I'm school. Gonna, I'm gonna fact check after this. Yeah. I'm, I could have sworn there's a song on News Murder that does It that. might. There might be. There might be. I don't know that record very well. I okay. do know The Queen is Dead extraordinarily well. Okay. Maybe they do it twice. Um, I sent you I sent you a, a zip, and it's, a, it's fan club demos, and it also includes the full Alcoholiday take. It's 11 and a half fucking minutes. <laughs> well, you the, dr- <laughs> the drummer's just, like, hitting, like, big symbols like all right all right let's bring it down they go on for another like 45 <laughs> seconds before they finally stop it's fucking incredible that's awesome um yeah i'll have to listen to that after we finish talking here if you know if you want to hear the full take of the super crush one on the vinyl version it doesn't fade out it just we just let it ride oh okay cool so i'm glad i'm, I'm glad i'm buying the cd version thanks <laughs> um dude this record it's like like when i found your band um 
it was it was totally like at the height of the like big time uh like posies renaissance with like a lot of my a lot of my core and someone sent me i don't want to feel sad anymore and i know i said this to you last week but i think it, it bears repeating first of all i heard it and i started laughing because it was so <laughs> just like oh my god there are so many bands that are trying and they just none of them come anywhere near what you what you fucking did there but also it was like this legitimately could be like an am an amc like release from 1993 some some band that they signed uh that they immediately regretted signing and dropped them. <laughs> <laughs> i sometimes think about that not to cut you off but i sometimes think about that if i had been born you know five ten years earlier yeah i guess ten years earlier let's say would i have been one of those also ran failed major label bands mm-hmm. that whose career just got destroyed by a major label who invested all this money in them and then didn't hear a single and tanked their tanked their it's album totally like <laughs> ma- so. maybe you get two maybe you get maybe. a second lp but fucking but i'd be in good company you would so, be in good company so getting the second one. that that happened to. <laughs> um, the record is out on Friday, which is tomorrow in terms of airing, one week from today in terms of talking for the second time. Um, we've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast, where um, we do a revenue share each week, uh, the revenue is split equally between the show, our guests, and an organization of the guests choosing. Um, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about the Unistoten 2020 Legal Fund that we're working on behalf of this week? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I chose, like you said, I chose the Legal Fund for the Unistoten land defenders Hmm. um they are a group of indigenous people living up in what's known as british columbia in canada or Mm -hmm. what's known as canada i suppose um and uh, they're protecting their traditional territory against um some gas companies that are trying to run a pipeline through their land Mm -hmm. so they've been going up against um the gas companies the Canadian government, the Canadian law enforcement, and the Canadian legal system to try to protect their territory. Um, so as you can imagine, their legal costs are, are through the roof. So mm-hmm. that's why I chose them to hopefully donate a little something to. Yeah, I'm really glad that uh, that you chose this org, um, you know, being being a uh american based <laughs> podcast um we 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 just maybe we're no i'm not even going to give us the excuse of we're overloaded with shit to be pissed about we're we're very uh tunnel vision in terms of the rest of the world but um you canucks have uh have been pretty awful to your indigenous folks just as we have so like hearing hearing about this one is good for most of our listeners and and me too um something we're really happy to be supporting cool yeah um i always say it like this um from growing up in canada i was just always very frustrated by the fact that canada has crafted this image for itself as a kind, peaceful nation, Mm -hmm. much more so than the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, When in fact, the history of Canada is, you know, as disgraceful as the United States easily. Yeah. Well, it's a little different, of course, but, you know, the whole country is founded on genocide 
and that sort of racism still persists to this day you know it looks different now but um the same issues you know continue you know year after year so i sort of whenever i have the opportunity i like to kind of shine a light on the fact that canada is uh not uh not as peaceful a place as it would have you believe yeah hundred percent uh thankful for propaganda records to really let me know about that fact for our patreon uh you can pledge three dollars like you're giving us a tip um you can also pledge ten dollars a month and i'll give you access to a whole lot of bonus content and we you get something new from our guests each week including this fucking youtube playlist that you made me mr mark palm you got matthew sweet on here fan club my back pages the better birds version that original is like not so hot as far as dylan tracks go um but yeah lots of lots of fucking dope stuff in here yeah um that fucking raspberries track too oh yeah that's a good one and um i respect very heavily your use of um i'm always in love by wilco from the documentary oh yeah that I is love a that version. very good version such a good version i don't know if it's actually better but it's the version that i heard first so mm-hmm. to me that's always like the definitive version i think that there's something uh there's something magical about like very good vocal harmonies when they're done live mm-hmm. and they the timing isn't spot on because everybody's doing a bunch of other shit but the voices are i love that Definitely. also jeff's vocals on that are like so good yeah there's that one part where he just stops playing guitar mm-hmm. just and like really starts belting it out on the vocals for a couple bars it's yeah. cool you can check that out over patreon.com slash Better Yet Podcast, supercrush.bandcamp.com. I'm not looking. That's the one, right? That's the That's the one, yeah. All right. Um, Soto Pop is out Friday. Check it out. Uh, Mark, thank you again for talking to me. Anytime. Thanks for having me again. Such a pleasure. Uh, We'll be back next week. We will see you then. Thank you, friends. 